the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The contrast couldn't be clearer between the anti-Christian New Reformation gospel and the Christian Old Reformation gospel. The new one says you must love yourself first. If you don't have a sense of self-worth, self-esteem, if you haven't met the basic needs of your life and love yourself, you can't expect to love God or your neighbor. Jesus said that's the way a pagan thinks. quick look at a magazine shelf and you get a clear indication as to just exactly what consumes our thoughts and our minds and our hearts. Us, we, self. It's all there. And that is the sad focus of our current culture. Us, self. Meanwhile, God has set us free from thinking of self. And that's what we see here in Galatians 5 verses 13 through 15. We're looking at the truth about self, and we invite you to spend time with us today as we explore what God has to say about how we are to view ourselves. The truth about self-love. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. I would love to give everyone here a book by Jay Adams titled, The Biblical View of Self-Esteem, Self-Love, and Self-Image but since I can't afford it, and probably only a handful of you would actually read it, I'm going to read portions of it to you today instead. And I'll quote from it, and we'll allude to it time and time again. But if you can find the time to read this wonderful book, it would be well worth your effort. Now, the reason I'm talking about this particular subject is because our text brings us to it. Paul says in Galatians that one of the boundaries of our freedom in Christ is that rather than biting and consuming and devouring one another with harsh words, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Robert Schuller wrote a best-selling book called Self-Esteem, The New Reformation. In it, he calls for a new reformation to rid ourselves of the ideas and emphasis of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century that taught that all men are condemned sinners in need of God's grace. Schuller says, we need to rid ourselves of those thoughts. He writes, once a person believes he is an unworthy sinner, it is doubtful if he can honestly accept the saving grace God offers in Christ. So instead, he tells us, the new reformation will focus on what he calls the sacred right of every person to self-esteem. There is another in this movement whose name is Walter Trobisch, and he says that the gospel of the new reformation includes the following emphasis. 
You cannot love your neighbor. You cannot love God unless you love yourself. Without self-love, he says, there can be no love for others. Or as another has written, actually, our ability to love God and to love our neighbor is limited by our ability to love ourselves. We cannot love God more than we love our neighbor, and we cannot love our neighbor more than we love ourselves, which means then that we cannot love God more than we love ourselves, unquote. So according to these men, Whitney Houston was right when she sang, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. So what is the summary of the gospel of the New Reformation? It is, love for God is dependent on love for neighbor, which is dependent on love for self. Love for God and love for neighbor are contingent on your love for yourself. Trobish said, furthermore, a person loves another person in order to meet basic needs within himself. God or man is loved in order to satisfy the needs of the one doing the loving. In other words, the New Reformation says man needs to love himself. Man needs to love other people. Man needs to love God. So, What does that say about the gospel of the New Reformation? It means in loving other people, man is simply satisfying his own needs and basically loving himself. That's a great basis for a relationship, isn't it? Would you please spend the rest of your life serving me and let me love you for my sake because of my needs? Forget you, I have to love myself. I need to love God. I have a need to love my neighbors. So in stroking other people, I'm really stroking myself. And Jay Adams says, here is the implication of all of this. Man cannot be held responsible for obedience to the biblical commands to love God and his neighbor if he has been deprived of the satisfaction of basic personal needs, end quote. I mean, you can't blame him for not loving God, the poor guy, and not loving his neighbor if his own personal needs aren't met first, because that's the basis of it all. If you don't love yourself and satisfy your needs, how are you going to love God and other people? But nowhere in the Bible do we ever find even the slightest hint that Christians must meet each other's need in order to make it possible to obey God's commands. In fact, Jesus contradicts such a viewpoint in Matthew 6. And if you would, please turn with me there. Matthew 6. Now, we're going to look at a lot of passages today that the New Reformation people quote to prove their prerequisite of self-love. And then we're going to look at some passages that they want to overlook. But in Matthew 6, you'll see that the view of Jesus contradicts the view of the New Reformation, which says that love is basically meeting needs, and you must meet your first primary need of loving yourself, and then the various other needs of loving other people. But unless your needs are met... 
you'll not be able to love as you should. Now, notice how Jesus deals with this in Matthew 6. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. It is not life, is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do you not worry then, saying, What will I eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice the contrast now is between the philosophy of the life of the Gentiles, that is the pagans, and the philosophy of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that a pagan seeks security in things he thinks he needs. And if those basic needs are not met, he is insecure. Such as things like food and clothing and shelter and the like. Whereas on the other hand, the Christian philosophy of life says that the Christian is to look away from himself and his own worries and his own cares and focus his concern on Christ kingdom and doing righteousness not worrying about his own needs you see the contrast couldn't be clearer between the anti-christian new reformation gospel and the christian old reformation gospel the new one says you must love yourself first if you don't have a sense of self-worth and self-esteem if you haven't met the basic needs of your life and love yourself you can't expect to love God or your neighbor. Jesus said that's the way a pagan thinks. That is the way a pagan approaches life. A Christian casts off all of his worries upon the Lord and focuses not on having his needs met, but on doing what Jesus Christ would have him do. Here is Jay Adams again. Pagan thought emphasized getting what you think you need, while godly thought emphasizes giving God the honor and service in his church, what he deserves, totally apart from whether your needs are met or not, end quote. You see, the really important thing in the Christian life is not having your needs met, the real important thing in the Christian life is giving the honor and service to God that he deserves as our Lord and Savior. 
And by the way, have you noticed in the New Reformation, it uses the word needs a lot. I have basic needs that have to be filled. But if you listen carefully when they talk, you'll notice that the needs don't really mean needs. It means desires and wants. When they say needs, I have basic needs, they mean I have basic desires. And under the guise of needs, sinful desires are often justified. For instance, I was told of a wife and a mother who said, as an excuse for leaving her husband and her children, I have a need to have freedom from the responsibilities of being a wife and the mother now while I'm young. She doesn't have a need to be free from her responsibilities that God gave her. She has a desire, a rebellious desire to be free from those things. So when people talk about their basic desires, understand that more times than not, they are talking about their basic sinful desires. If you have read any of the self-esteem, self-love literature at all, you've surely noticed a new way of saying certain things. Instead of simply saying, I need this or that, the new way you read about it in their books is, I have a need to do this or that. I have a need to tell you that you are wrong, or I have a need to do something. Now, when they come to you with that new construction, watch for what follows, because it is not uncommon for the next words to be the expression of not basic needs, but of desires and probably of sinful desires, excused by the opening formula, I have a basic need to. People used to say, I need such and such, but now they say, I have a need to do or be such and such. The former way, I need such and such, referred to an objective secondary need. I am going to be digging a ditch, so I need a shovel. That's the proper use of the word need. The usage, I have a need to, refers to a supposed apparent subjective psychological need. I have a need to say this to you. I don't love you anymore. That's not a need. You just want to say that to the person. So whenever you hear these self-love people use the phrase, I have a need to do this or that, watch out. And scratch out the word need and replace it with desire, and you will understand exactly what they are really saying. The new gospel of self-love, of the new reformation, adds another twist to its false teaching. It says, not only are we people of self-worth who must love ourselves, but they say that God redeems man because of man's great infinite worth. The reason God sent Jesus to die on the cross is because men and women are worth so much. So an exalting man and his alleged infinite worth, God's grace is denied. It was not at all because of any merit or worth in us that God sent his son, but in spite of our demerits and lack of worth, 
and because of his pure, unmerited favor and undeserved love. Romans 5.9 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't demonstrate our infinite worth. He demonstrated his great love for us while we were sinners by sending his son to die for us. Listen again to Jay Adams. We should not think of man as the motivating cause of redemption. No man was so valuable to God that God had to save him. On the contrary, the ultimate cause of salvation was solely in God himself, who, as Romans 9 says, in order to demonstrate his worth and to make his power known and in order to make known the riches of his glory, he determined to set his love on rebellious sinners upon this plant, saving those who believe and rejecting those who do not. So you see... When you read scripture, you see that the cross was not the greatest, as the new reformers say, demonstration of a person's worth to God. For we are unloving and unlovable and unlovely. So the cross was the greatest demonstration of God's mercy and God's love and God's grace for people who had no merit at all whatsoever. One self-love advocate said... It is bad that in some Christians their self-esteem is so terribly low that they're amazed that God forgave their sins in the first place. Of course, making fun of the Reformed hymn, Amazing Grace. Of course, they don't like that hymn for two reasons. Because they can't figure out why a person who has low self-esteem is amazed he is forgiven. And they certainly don't like the third word, from the end of the first verse, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a highly worthy person like me. No, that saved a wretch like me. Adams continues, to say that Christ died for us because we are of great worth, valuable to God, precious to him, is to suppose that in some sense we are needed by God. True men and women are of some value to one another, but to God? What do we add to him who says he stands in need of nothing he has made? What do you add to him? Nothing. To be of value is to be valuable for something. But what value is man to God? In no way do any of us, even in the slightest degree, benefit God at all. Before man existed, he goes on, the Trinity possessed perfection of fellowship as well as perfection of being and total blessedness and happiness, totally satisfied with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God didn't make man or need him to fill some emptiness in himself. God continues today as he has always been, self-sufficient, in need of nothing he has made. Well, one of the most perverted things about this gospel of the New Reformation is that they claim to get all of this out of the Bible. They claim this is a biblical doctrine, that every person must be concerned with self-worth, high self-esteem, 
love for himself. So I want to look at some of those passages they misused to support their false doctrine. One of them we read a while ago. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 22. We looked at this last Sunday, but we're going to look at it again today to review, to get a picture, a complete picture of all of this. Their key passage is from Jesus' comments there in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, where he said, The greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they say, there it is. We are to love God, we are to love ourselves, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now let me remind you of this insightful thing John Calvin said four or five centuries ago explaining this passage. He said, we will never love our neighbors with sincerity according to our Lord's intentions until we have corrected the love of ourselves. The two affections are opposites and contradictory. For the love of ourselves leads us to neglect or despise others. Our Lord therefore enjoins that it be changed into the love of our neighbor, end quote. He is saying, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself is to be changed from love of self to love of neighbor. In other words, turn yourself inside out. The same self-centeredness, the same self-direction and intensity of love that you have for yourself, turn yourself inside out and focus it on your neighbor. Now the self-love people say that this is what Jesus was saying. Self-love is the prerequisite and criteria for our conduct toward our neighbors. You're not going to be able to love your neighbor and love God until you first love yourself. And the way you love yourself is the standard by which you judge how you are going to love your neighbor. Now, that is the gospel of the so-called new reformation. You must love yourself because you are of infinite worth. And when you recognize that and do it, you are free to love God and your neighbor. And until you are able to love yourself, you cannot. And the criteria you use to judge your conduct toward other people is the way you love yourself. Well, there are several things wrong with that. First, there are not three commandments here. Jesus does not say the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the third is like unto that, you shall love yourself. There is no third commandment here. He makes it very clear there are only two. There is no commandment to love yourself. In fact, there is no commandment anywhere in Scripture to love yourself. Secondly, the Bible alone is the criteria and standard for regulating our conduct toward our neighbor. We don't look and see how we love ourselves because we don't even love ourselves very well. 
and then use that as the standard to love other people. The only standard that we have to determine how we are going to love other people and how we are going to relate to other people is from the Word of God. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Dot org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5.00. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.